Hello. <laughs> Hi. It's our last episode of October. I know. I was thinking about it and I just don't want to take down my decorations yet. I, I might keep them up a little while longer. Well, the nice thing is that we are recording, what, this is October 19th or something like that? 18th? Yeah, we're recording this one definitely so, two weeks Yeah, early. so we have plenty of time to keep our decorations up. And I feel like the November episodes will have them for a little bit just because we record them in October. But I know it is sad to think, okay, I'm not even, no, you know what? Let's not even talk about that because it's just not worth sadness. We're here we're for here happiness for- because tomorrow yes! is Halloween. Oh my gosh. And something exciting is coming on Halloween if you're listening to this. Mm-hmm. But that's all we will say. Look on social media. A little 3 a.m. Wake up for all of yes. you. Yes. You might even get two episodes at once if you are one of those people who like to listen on like Monday morning instead of Sunday. Yeah. So just uh, beware. There is something coming. Something. To the doorstep that is wherever you listen. Yes. To podcasts. <laughs> oh. This is Two Girls, One two Ghost. Girls, one Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That is Corinne and I am Sabrina. Hi. And this is an episode where we're going to go back to like the format we used to do where we both tell you stories and they're in the vein of We can do whatever we want now. We have released ourselves from the constraints that was our our previous (laughs) format that we were just for some reason had so much trouble getting past. I think it was me. You were always like, we can do whatever we want. And I was like, no, it's always been the same. We can't. relinquish our own control got to yes yes and we realized yeah the universe so we're each going to tell a story us anyway so whatever just do whatever the universe wants us to do should we talk a little bit about our time in salem uh, about our readings yes. do you want to do that here or should we do it, we can do it here i actually here? am wearing my marblehead sweatshirt because i miss it there already and Good. i've worn this Did every you, day for like you didn't years. i don't think you responded to my oh i forgot it was i was like you didn't respond to my text and then i just realized it, i had messaged you on instagram or like commented on your instagram post of your you did like a marblehead mm-hmm. dump of photos i was like it's calling to <laughs> you come back come back <gasps> you know i will probably come back at another I wish point you would. I, I feel like that will be my writer's retreat spot or i'm gonna do like a writer's retreat every quarter just to you know get the inspiration flowing creativity going yeah. Also, I have like five drinks. If you're watching on YouTube, I have a coffee, I have a protein smoothie, and I have a glass of water. So it's going to be the episode of drinks. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well, to start off, when you were in Marblehead, yeah. you teased me by allowing us to go to an open <laughs> house. But we we learned – f- I was like, this is it. Sabrina's moving. <laughs> My life is complete. And then three days later, you're like, I'm not actually moving. I'm like – I mean, <laughs> I changed my whole life around <laughs> banking on you moving out one here. day, maybe, but, but just not yet where I am one day. in my life. It's not, it doesn't make sense. Just not, yeah. not quite, but I'll still send you yes. listings when I see I mean, stuff. I, I love that. That was the thing is that it was a house from like built in the 1700s. And despite also just wanting to go see it and like, oh, like entertaining the idea because I love Marblehead. It is just so fascinating. Uh, my dream is to be able to walk into people's homes and just see how they decorate, what the architecture is like. I just am so fascinated mm-hmm. by it. So given the opportunity to go see a house from the 1700s, Corinne, I had to take it up. Yes. And it was very – it was really interesting because there had been work done to it over time, but like very little. Love. And 
it, it needed a lot of work. And what had been done was new. It wasn't like someone redid the current space and kept it up to date. So you basically got to walk through a maze yeah. of a house because it was like, oh, we want another room. Let's just build it over here. And then there'll be like this little skinny hallway that you have to like crouch down into and basically crawl <laughs> through. And then here's an open hole mm-hmm. in the middle of the floor. And if you fall through, oh, well, 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 you might find another room. Yeah. It the was realtor said that amazing. a family with 12 kids lived there before. And I don't know how that – I mean, it would have been a really fun house to play hide and seek. There were just so many random cabinets and cupboards so and places to hide. And the the wild thing is that it was one of those houses that every room connects to the other room. So the, in order to get to like one bedroom, you had to mm-hmm. go through all the other bedrooms. And there really weren't hallways. It was just doors. We were lost. We were very lost. Quite a bit. I still don't understand no. the layout. But we did ask. So as we were wrapping up the tour, I said, is it haunted? <laughs> And then they laughed and they said, no, it's not haunted. Actually, I don't think they laughed. I think they were like, no, no, no. No one died here. It's not haunted. No one's died here. But a lot of people have been born here. And so when you first walked into the house, there was this little nook on the side that would be great for an office space in present time. But back in the day, that was the The birthing birthing room. room. That's where everybody gave birth. Yeah. Imagine working out of what used to be the birthing room. This is my office. It used to be a birthing room. A lot of babies were born here. There's, I mean, it's also the original old wood floor. So there's a lot of like birthing remnants probably on that floor. Little crusties of placenta within the grain of the wood. I don't know why, but the way you just said it made it sound so much more, um, uh, a little bit freakier. It's not as, (laughs) yeah, not as heartwarming, but it is interesting. I I wish we'd learned more about that house. Yeah. Specifically the birthing room, because I was curious, is it a birthing room? Was that like where everybody from the town Mm. went? Was, was the person who lived there like the the nurse, the midwife? I know I should have taken a picture. Or was it just of the plaque outside? Cause it did say the year it was born, year it was born, year it was built. And the name of the original owner. So it probably would have said their, um, cause a lot of the houses had the plaques with like their professions as well. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but it's so cool. Oh, also, okay. I start, I stayed at this place. I highly recommend it. If you're staying in Marblehead, it's called Harbor Light Inn and it's this beautiful historic bed and breakfast. And they have apartments. If you want to stay in an apartment, I stayed in an apartment, but they have three binders full of the history of the house. And I started reading them right before I checked out, but it's, there's so much history, three binders full, page after page after page. I wish I knew page. that that existed. And then there's like photos of the renovations and the history of the families who owned it. It's really, really cool. I kind of wish, Oh my gosh. I want to email them. Where was It was this? on the, in that fireplace room where we were working, it was on the mantle mm-hmm. or not the mantle on like the little dresser. Ooh, Ugh. Like, Ooh shadows. Okay, I'm just going to go back. I know. I'm going to walk in. Well, yeah, you can. You're so close. I'm sad that we didn't know that this existed because you and I definitely would have looked through it thoroughly. And also there was like a two-hour period where I was sitting (laughs) in the inn and we were separated because you were doing work and I was waiting. We were separated. And I I wasn't doing it. I was sitting there eating chocolate, like just thinking about how great my life was in front of this fireplace. And it could have been better. I could have read, read all, all about the house. it. Well, I'm curious. I want to email them. Do you remember any? And ask if they have the email copy of it because I would love to just oh my explore gosh, yes. and read it. Do you remember any of the facts? No, because I didn't read? really get to read much of it because there was like, it was one of those things where like I opened it and I tried to like to see how much there was and I got, I didn't have mm-hmm. time. It was truly as Nick and I were leaving. It was as mm-hmm. I was waiting, I was checking out to then get jump in your car we yes yeah yes i was also there we were all leaving together let's go 
But yeah, it was so beautiful and so nice. And I just loved Marblehead. But oh, we the reason we got here was because we wanted to talk about Salem and our experience. And we got our auras read, or we did the Polaroid. And Corinne and I have very, mm-hmm. very aura photography. similar auras. Or at that moment, we did. Yes. Right. Well, that's an- another thing that I guess I hadn't really known was that your aura can change yeah. day to yeah. day even. Like I had thought, you know, it was just like as you evolve, as you develop, as certain things happen to you, maybe like every few months you might look slightly different. But it was it was day to day. And so yeah. one of the things I said was a lot of parent and child relationships, like people who come in, like a mother and, and daughter or – specifically female best friends, female friend groups who like come us. in, oftentimes, like us, oftentimes like that day when they get their auras photographed will have the same yeah. or very, very close to the same aura, which is what we experienced. Yeah. We went back to back. And I had what they said was a male entity with me. A spirit. So maybe I do have a guardian yes. after all. You definitely do. Well, because when we look at the photos, there's different – I mean, we don't really know what we're talking about. This is all tr- – <laughs> like us trying to remember what the experts told us. But they said basically like as they're – the different colors that are around you and how how they layer mean certain yeah. things. And then there are these sort of like orb-looking things above you. And based on the number of them, those are spirit your guides. spirit guides. And then if you have a light to the right or to the left of you, that's a feminine or a masculine energy that's present, like someone else looking over yeah. you. And Sabrina, you had you had. It someone. kind of looks human shaped too. If you look at, I think I posted on my Instagram, but then Corinne, you and I are going to, we should post them on our TGOG, Two Girls, One Ghost Instagram oh, yeah. for people to see. For sure. We'll make them our little Apple. Uh, we don't yes, have profile, profile pictures picks. on Apple Podcasts. Maybe we'll do yes, that. Yes, that's a great idea. Yeah. So we did that. And then we did readings at Ascend, which is a shop in Salem. We highly recommend it. And it was really fascinating. I mean, I feel like that we should do like a separate full breakdown. I recorded mine so I can share some of that audio. And then mm-hmm. we, you took pictures of your cards. Yes. It's hard because yes, I feel like I did. I know there's a lot really to unpack. to reiterate because there's so many – it goes through so many different like parts of your life and it's hard to retell it in the same way. And I feel like it doesn't always do it justice. But the one thing that was really interesting was this woman goes, I sense a move in your life. And she's like, I'm thinking I'm getting like Colorado, Denver. And Nick and I literally just bought – it's an investment property and it's a rental that we're going to rent out, but like in Denver, Colorado. So I was just like, how – So that wild. That is so wild to me that – It's so, so specific. It's so specific. And of all the places in the world and, for right. her to say that. Exactly. Because she, she also knew the only things that this woman knew when we walked in were that we were friends yeah. and that I was local and you lived in California. Yeah. Like that, that That's it. it. That is it. We didn't have – we didn't schedule appointments ahead of time. There was no chance to, like, Google no. anything. It was literally – we walked in. We said we want a reading. They said, great, go to this yeah. back room. And we yeah. did it. And we only said our first names. Anyway. And then, oh, this is the thing that really got me excited. And it was so fascinating. So she mentioned she saw, like, a female – an elderly female spirit who watches over me. And she said that she's holding my daughter on her knee right now. And keeping her safe until she's ready to be in our lives. And I was so – I mean, even just thinking about it, I get chills because it's like that is so powerful and also just so incredible because we've heard stories of like 
children who are going to come into your life just waiting to be there. So I, like, who yes, is she? You're pre-selected yeah. so far in advance. Yeah. And your relatives yeah. know her already from, from yeah. beyond and are there with her waiting. So cool. I'm just going to, we know, you don't need a gender reveal at all <laughs> when you're pregnant one day. We know now because the spirits told you. Yeah, this is on record for everyone. That's so awesome. Yes. My rating, just to give like, we'll definitely go into, I feel like you got way more that was specific in your reading. And mine was a lot of like partial suggestions. Okay. And then the spirit guides would come in again and interrupt and be like, but really the reason she's here and why she, what she truly needs to listen to is like, she has to unlock her, her basically my like spiritual and witchy power. Like they kept being like, great, I'm glad she has questions, but we don't really care to answer them. It's about what she needs to do. Uh, that I was just going to say. Do you want me yeah. to tell? <laughs> <laughs> this is so specific. I got the ghosts, they tattled yeah. on me. I haven't told anyone this, but, and it's not like it even means much to me, but basically in the reading, she, she said, they're saying you have a lot of stuff, like a lot of little things. And at first I was thinking like, oh, this is, this is BS. Like I am, I'm someone who goes through my stuff like every two yeah. months and like Purges. clears it out. Everything has a purpose. Everything yeah. has a place. And she goes, it's just a couple little things, but from each of your, each of your ex-boyfriends, one or two things and you keep them. And your guides are telling you that if you really must keep them, take a picture, but you got to get yeah. rid of it. Like basically it was lowering my vibration and I need to not at all look into the past and fully into the future. And I was like, oh my God, I do. I literally have like a little ex-boyfriend. It's at my parents' house. It's not oh, even here with me. it's not even there. Okay. I have like a little. That's good. No, no. It's like a little ex-boyfriend box where it's like, you know, like a scarf that my, when I was 12 years oh, old. Oh, it my goes first that far back? me. Yes, that's why I was like, it's so weird because it's not even it's not even these like sentimental things of people that are are recent. That's you know, so like there's there's nothing obstructing me from moving forward in my current relationship. It's not it's not like oh, two years ago this person. But you're holding like, it on is to it. Like when I was twelve, my first kiss, like the first Valentine's Aww. Day card I ever got. Like it's it's little things like that. But I, yeah, I was told I got to get rid of the box. Yeah, take a photo because those are cute. <laughs> I'm going to. Those are cute. Like if you're, you know, like your little pre, you know, young loves that, or not even loves. They were like, yeah, your, you know, preteen relationships. Take a photo because that is, you know, cute and sentimental and something you can look back on when you're telling your kids like, right. about their first relationships or whatnot. But yeah. I'm not at all thinking about the person yeah. I was in a relationship with. It's just about like, oh, this is a this is a milestone. This yeah. is a marker of who I was and what I was doing when I was 13. Yeah, good riddance. Yeah. But anyway, that was incredibly specific, and I've like never told anyone that I have that or talk about it because why? Yeah. And your your uh, they guides know. know. Ratted you out. They said no longer. See, that's why I'm like, oh, that was so specific. And you said that not much specific came up, and I'm like, excuse me. That is the most specific right. thing. Well, I will say everything that was specific that came up was incredibly yeah. accurate. There wasn't anything that was a guess that just didn't hit yeah. the mark. It was all yeah, all pretty real. But we'll, we'll we'll talk more in a future episode on it and include some of the recordings because yeah. Sabrina did I recorded get to record it. the yeah. audio in hers. Yeah. And I took pictures. I wish I recorded audio, but uh, we, we figured out we could do that a, a little, little too late. late. At the end of mine yeah. before you went in. Yeah. I was like, you were the first of the day, so she forgot to tell you. Yeah. Yeah. It's all up here. Yes. Okay. Do you want me to go first? Sure. Okay. Yes. Okay, wait. Should we say what we're yeah. doing? I'm like, arms out to the side. Well, because tomorrow's Halloween, we were like, let's come together and let's pick. Let's each pick something that is 
somehow symbolic of Halloween yeah. or witchiness or this time of year in some way and do a little deep dive as to how and why that became a, a bit of a symbol or just cool facts about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I more just – I didn't really do that. I more just did like something spooky and Halloween themed. Okay, great. Well, I did the <laughs> other. So it doesn't matter. We make our yeah. own rules yeah. now. This is just like a fun Halloween special and I'm obsessed with vampires. I think I've had a very um, – mm-hmm. I've been very forthcoming about my love of Damon on Vampire Diaries and um, just vampires in general. I think they're hot. I have a fantasy. To suck your blood. Suck my blood. So. Yes. So if you have any vampire smut book recommendations for Sabrina, comment below. Please let me know. Or if you know any vampires, send them my way. (laughs) No. You don't know. We don't know enough yet. I would love to be a vampire only purely for the sake that I could then spend the rest of my life reading books. But I think it would be hard because I'm a vegetarian, so I don't really know how it would happen, how it would work out for me. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. So when we think of vampires, we probably think of like Bram Stoker's Dracula or Vlad the Impaler, Twilight, Vampire Diaries, movies, those kinds of things. But back in 1892, the vampire capital of the world was actually in our very own American backyard, Rhode Island. What? No way. That is a quick drive Very quick. Yes. And I'm sure a lot of people, if you listen to lore, I'm sure you kind of will recognize this story and just wanted to give a little bit of a disclaimer that the story I'm about to share with you is very much not the result of vampires running rampant, but it's Halloween. I love vampires. I love history. So I'm going to share this on our ghostly podcast. Because it's fascinating. And I'm sure also, as I think a lot of empathetic people listen to our podcast, as people who have empathy and can put themselves in other people's shoes, I'm sure that while you're hearing this story, you will understand where the panic and the fear came from and why there was a vampire panic. So, Mm -hmm. okay. without further ado, I present the story of the New England Vampire Panic. New England was settled by Europeans. And thus, many European beliefs were incorporated into the New England lifestyles. And I actually, I went on a, like a tangent, figure out like what these like folklore and legends and beliefs were. I feel like I'm bobbing a lot because I'm really excited. Should put a warning like there's a lot of quick movement in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, make it dizzy Whoa. on this ride. Please keep your hands and arms inside the vehicle. So I went a little bit on a tangent of my own during my research and I found some things that were just interesting and they're kind of... Not really related to the story, but I thought they were fascinating. So there were a lot of wedding customs that came from the from Europe to New England, like wearing mm-hmm. a borrowed object. And this is so interesting. A lot of people would get married in cold weather so as not to interfere with farm work. And there was a rhyme to help the New England bride choose the day of their marriage. And it's kind of disturbing. Okay. Uh-oh. <laughs> Monday for health. Tuesday for wealth. Wednesday, the best day of all. Thursday for losses. Friday for crosses. And Saturday, no luck at all. That's the opposite. Okay, so all of us are having bad luck yeah. wedding days now because if Saturday is not the date. And also Friday for crosses. <laughs> the is weekend. Like, it's like almost like, hey, death is going to happen on Fridays if you get married. Right. Okay, so we're all just supposed to have like a little week weekday Wednesday is the best day of all everyone just so you know cringe is it too late to change your plans it is I'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) well I'll take let's not look back to traditions from the 1800s to change your wedding 
Mm-hmm. I agree. Another tradition and belief that traveled across the Atlantic to the New England settlements was that of vampires. There was a belief and a fear that the dead, once buried, could still harm the living. And this fear took a very real, and for those living at the time, turn in New England in the 1790s. During this time, there was a very mysterious illness that spread throughout New England. It was called the Great White Plague because of how sickly, pale, and white the victims would turn. It consumed the victims from the inside out, weakening them, turning them into lifeless, pale, gaunt versions of themselves. Oh, boy. It was also called consumption. Today, we know it as tuberculosis. But during Mm -hmm. this time, when it first struck the settlers of New England, it was just really hard to explain what it was and what was causing it. And because of that, people were like, this is something so out of our control. It's something supernatural and more sinister because they didn't have the words or the ability to explain it. And this led to then the belief that perhaps the dead were causing the living to become ill. Ooh. One of the earlier cases. I mean, it's not entirely untrue. Right. Now what we know about airborne yeah. diseases. There is some fact of you. Yeah. Think and about it. A, but oh, back then, no, there was no human coming alive. And, and there's a lot of this that like, blood of isn't so far off. Like they were kind of close to it. Mm-hmm. But it just took a couple more years and a little bit more time to figure it out properly. Mm-hmm. So they're like, okay, what is causing this? Perhaps it's something from the dead. And one of the earliest cases of New England vampiris- vampirism. Vampirism? Vampirism? Why? Am- <laughs> I don't know. I think they all sound good. But what? Vampire. Vampirism. Doesn't that sound weird? Va- vampirism is definitely Vamp- wrong. Vampirism? So vamp- vampirism? vampirism? I think you were okay. right. Yeah, I'm never going to say that word again in the rest of the story. (laughs) Is that of Rachel Harris in Manchester, Vermont, Corinne? Oh, Rachel was married to Captain Isaac Burton, but she fell ill and unfortunately died in 1790. That following year, Captain Burton married Rachel's stepsister. And within weeks of their wedding, Rachel's stepsister started exhibiting very similar symptoms to what Rachel had before she died. So basically, everyone was like, oh, Rachel has come back from the dead to enact revenge on her stepsister Mm. for marrying her husband. Wow. (laughs) Just wow. I mean, yikes. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I'm just, I just like, somehow I transported myself back into that time period in Manchester, Vermont, and was just thinking like, what the hell was going on here? Like, I can't imagine that family and that community both having the loss of this person and then and then that person's death now spiraling into something so monstrous and scary. Yeah. There's just a lot to to handle all at once. I think again it's just like not being able to explain it so they're like we need to find something to put blame on or like have a you know there's a mm-hmm. reason for it. So this town turns to what the Europeans had done during their own outbreak of vampire attacks. And they exhumed Rachel's body. It was now February 1793, so nearly three years after Rachel had died. So just imagine the the state that Rachel's body is in. The entire town, I think it's like 600 people, gather in the freezing cold in February to watch as the internal organs were removed from Rachel's corpse, the liver, heart, and lungs. And then all of Mm -hmm. them were burned. And then some of the remaining organs were preserved and turned into a concoction for Rachel's stepsister to consume. So it's a bit Mm. of a medicine, if you will. And while it sounds gross, this kind of feels a little bit also correct. Like, I don't know anything about 
about medicine here, but but if I would guess, like, you know, destroying infected parts so that they can't reach other people would be good. And then now, like, vaccines, half the vaccines that we take in our own arms are, like, dead versions of viruses. Right, right. So in illnesses. Yeah, so. I mean, this is like a modern, older, or not modern, an olden day version of a vaccine. It's a little bit grotesque, don't get me wrong, but they were not far off. Unfortunately, <laughs> this ridding of vampire ritual did not rid Rachel's stepsister of her illness, and she too died that September. So then the townspeople were like, oh, well, then Rachel wasn't a vampire. She was probably a witch. And there's no way to have prevented her from enacting her revenge from beyond the grave in that way. So they're like, we did what we could. And then in February of 1796, Lavinia Staples fell ill and started having terrible dreams of a shadowy figure sitting on her chest, preventing her from breathing. Um, And I did not write where this one happened, but I don't believe it was in Vermont. I think it might have been anywhere. So it was somewhere else in New England. New England. Mm-hmm. So Lavinia, one evening in her dream, remembers calling out the name Abigail, which is the name of her sister who had died not too long before of a very similar illness that Rachel had died of and like people were dying of, again, the Great White Plague. And there was a fear that Abigail was haunting her sister from beyond the grave, giving her the same illness because of these dreams and nightmares that Lavinia was experiencing. So the town granted Lavinia's family permission to exhume Abigail's body and try an experiment. But this is really interesting because no one, there seems to be no record of what happened after they exhumed Abigail's body. But I can feel, I feel pretty certain that Lavinia passed away. Not only was that 226 years ago, but also the real illness that Lavinia was battling was taking a lot of lives. Mm -hmm. And most people who suffered it didn't really recover from it because they didn't know how to recover from it. Right. In Dummerston, Vermont. Is that, did I say it right? I have no idea. I've never heard of it. So yes, I did. I said it right. The (laughs) Spalding family was tormented by death. Lieutenant Leonard Spalding had lost six of his 11 children to this terrible illness and had grown so convinced that his deceased children were coming back as vampires to claim their siblings. So he would exhume the bodies, burn their lungs, hearts, and livers to prevent the chain of vampirism. But when that did not work, he and the locals started to believe that vines would grow between the buried caskets. And once all of the burials in a plot had been connected, another family member would die. So then they began burying the children in graves very far away from one another in order to hope fully break the chain of vines and then this chain of death. Mm-hmm. This is just horrible. It's so sad. sad. And at this point, you know, everyone's so desperate and frightened and fearful of losing their loved ones that they're just like, we are going to try anything. And you're doing these things to someone that to the body of someone that you love right. in order to protect someone else you love. Like that's just yes. It's just so hard. I I feel like it would just be such a battle internally yeah. to be able to bring yourself to do that. But you're you're desperate. And then also I mean what we know of T B now, like I'm actually shocked that entire families just didn't get wiped right. out all at once because the amount of people back then that would it's it's still today like we a lot of people don't live in these massive homes all by themselves like we have a lot of family we have multiple generations yeah. we have children and pets all packed into a single space and if there's this airborne illness going around then the chances that everybody in your household gets it yes i mean it seems pretty and high, i think that's right? the hard thing is that there was no they couldn't explain how people were getting it, right? Like some families were completely getting wiped out. Like this, this Balding family, six of their 11 children had died at this point. 
And Mm -hmm. but then their neighbors are completely fine. So it's like, why them and why not someone else? It's just hard for them to understand. And I get that. And then this is happening all over the New England and probably the world, but it's just do- there are dozens of stories and a lot of uncertainty and uh, inability to explain. So in Exeter, Rhode Island, Sarah Tillingas died and she was one of 14 children. After her death, the other children began to complain of Sarah's spirit visiting them at night. The visits continued and then five more children died. So they exhumed all six bodies and found that Sarah's body had not decomposed, or at least not at the rate it should have. So she was the first to die, and yet for some reason her body was like the least decomposed. So they were convinced that she was a vampire sucking life out of her siblings as to live longer. They removed her heart and... Ooh. I I think it was this story where when they removed her organs, they found that like they still had blood in them. So that also convinced them. I think it was just like the way her Hmm. body was decaying. There's still like remnants of things left behind. Yeah. So they removed her heart and burned it in front of the family home. And they report peace came to the family after that happened. But one more child died before peace fully came to them. Others took to burning the organs of the deceased and inhaling the smoke from the burning remains in a ritual, thinking it would protect them from the curse of vampires that were was said to be running around the world or this area. In 1845, in Jewett City, Connecticut, a string of deaths led to a belief that vampires were afflicting the town. But then there was the case of Mercy Brown in Exeter, Rhode Island, and this is perhaps the best documented case of suspected vampirism. In 1883, Mercy's mother died from consumption. Seven months later, Mercy's sister died, and then Mercy and her brother Edwin both grew ill. Edwin was sent away to get better, but then Mercy died. Mercy's dad, George, was heartbroken and desperate to save his surviving family members, and while he did not believe in the whole vampire ordeal, the townspeople were convinced that there was vampire activity at the root of the Brown family chain of deaths, so they exhumed the bodies— and again, George was like, while I don't believe in this, I'm willing to do anything to try to save the rest of my family. And if this is what people, I understand you know, that. if this is what people are saying will work, then I have to try it. Mm-hmm. So they exhumed the bodies. And as they removed Mercy's organs, they found a large quantity of blood dripping from them. In their minds, this should not have happened. And thus it was proof that she was still alive and taking the lives of the living. I'm pretty sure I looked it up. I think she was buried during the winter time. So her body was more preserved. That's like the the science of why there was blood in her organs still. So the family removed Mercy's heart and liver, burned them, mixed them with water, and gave it to Edwin to drink. There is some belief that the Mercy Brown case led to the story of Bram Stoker's Dracula because there are rumors that when Bram Stoker passed away, there were newspaper clippings of the Mercy Brown story in his belongings. But I also think Dracula was very heavily inspired by Vlad the Impaler. There's, you know, I'm sure it was influenced by a lot of the stories that were happening at this time. Right, exactly. The most interesting thing about all of this is that they were so concerned with vampires and ended up doing vampiric things to combat it, like cannibalizing their loved okay. ones' organs. Right, you're right. And taking out their hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, those. that's something that – it's the classic vampire. You you put a stake, a silver stake yeah. or something, a wooden stake through the heart of a, a vampire. You're right. I didn't think yeah. about that this whole time. It's They became the vampires. vampires themselves yeah. in fear of a vampire. Right. It's just fascinating. 
And I think there were quite a few people who argued that as well. And I'm sure this was it brought up a lot of debate because there was fear. But then there was also the people who were like, you're doing vampire related things now by because you're afraid of it. There was even a anti vampire party that was formed. And then newspapers were riddled with articles and like kind of like advertisements claiming that vampires were real and that the living was being attacked and preyed upon by representatives of an unseen world. So it was like, whoa, it, it was it was almost a hysteria in the sense that people were so afraid that they just were consumed. It's interesting. They were consumed by this illness, but also consumed with their fear of vampires. Mm -hmm. Frightened villagers believed that the first to die were the vampires and that they were being inhabited by some evil spirit that was sustaining life by draining life from the living. And the spiritual possession had to be destroyed and the evil bond between living and dead had to be broken. So that's why they would exhume the bodies and then burn the organs and sometimes feed the ashes to the living who were ill. Ugh, just so much desecration of bodies yes. in this story. Okay, so it's interesting because around the same time as the Mercy Brown case in 1882, Robert Koch identified the bacteria responsible for the White Plague and published an article called The Etiology of Tuberculosis. And then in 1890, he announced that he had discovered a cure, which was inoculated as vaccine therapy. So around the same time, so kind of after the Mercy Brown case, this panic seemed to start to dissipate. But by this time, I think there's over 80 vampiric rituals that had been performed. Whoa. Okay. Which, if you think about how many people were dying of consumption, that's actually not that many. But it is still a significant amount. And I'm sure, too, there were some investigations going on, too. Yes. Because it's not like one person dies in a town and then they say, oh, that person's clearly the vampire. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there was, out of the fear of everything, people trying to talk about it and, and figure out who was connection to who yeah. and who the one vampire could be. And that person is the one that gets exhumed right. based on how many people around them are getting sick passed yeah. away. For those of you who do not know, tuberculosis still exists. It is a terribly slow death. It's like life being sucked out of the victims. A lot of victims would cough up blood, have terrible fevers, and lose a significant amount of weight. It was so severe during this time that it claimed about 2% of the region's population and eventually killed 25% of New England residents at the time. Whoa. Okay, that's a ton. Yes, and now today we know it's a an infectious disease that impacts the lungs. And I just have one story to conclude the vampire panic. And it actually happened more recently. It was 1990, and a couple of children were playing around on a hill in Griswold, Connecticut, when they stumbled upon a human skull. And, of course, they, like, ran to their mom and was like, oh, my God, I just found a, a skull. And it brought a lot of police media, <laughs> police and media attention. And the, at this time in Connecticut, there was a serial killer named Michael Ross. And so they were afraid that they had stumbled upon his dumping ground. A victim. Yeah. yeah. So they immediately tape off the area as a crime scene and begin digging up the land and discover 29 bodies buried in unmarked graves. But upon further investigation, they discovered that these bones were more than a century old and they were not the victims of a serial killer. The dead, many of which were children, were laid to rest in the very simple manner that was common in the 1800s. Wood coffins, no personal belongings, their arms by their sides or crossed over their chests. But then there was one very strange grave. It was a stone crypt of sorts, and archaeologists uncovered the remains. And when they started to uncover them, they are like, oh, these seem like they're in perfect 
anatomical position. But then they realized that the body and the bones had been completely rearranged. The skeleton was beheaded. The skull and thigh bones were placed atop the ribs and vertebrae, kind of like a skull and crossbones motif. And then, even more confounding, they realized that the beheading and rib fractures had occurred five years post-mortem. So someone had exhumed the body and performed these actions to the corpse. And it was also placed face down. So, like, chest down to the ground. Mm -hmm. So five years later... This whole time I'm thinking like there's still, you know, flesh and hair and everything still on someone's body by the time that it gets exhumed and deemed a vampire worthy of a vampiric ritual. But five years later, that's a long time to suddenly point the finger and blame The Rachel Harris story was three years after she had died, you know? I think it was just – Yeah, you're right. It got to a point where they're like, we have to do whatever we can. So after quite a bit of studying and researching, they came to the conclusion that this was another example of the vampire panic from the 1800s in New England and was another attempt to prevent vampires from claiming lives. They had exhumed this man, removed his head and organs, and put him face down so that it would be impossible for him to leave his grave and take the lives of others. They believed that the other 28 bodies were victims of consumption as well, and they were all buried in the same area. To conclude, I think it's very important to acknowledge that there was a lot of fear and a lot of unknown during this time. So in an effort to not create chaos, the people wanted to put a name to the horrors that they were going through. That also, in turn, created a bit of a hysteria. But because they did not have the knowledge Mm -hmm. or ability to understand tuberculosis, what caused it, or how to heal people, patients from it, they believed it was something outside of their control, something supernatural and evil, and the only words and terms that they could put to it was vampire or witch. Yeah. There are a lot of similarities between the vampire panic and the witch hunt that had happened about 200 years before, or yeah, because like in the 1600s, yeah. <laughs> the supernatural ideal system was very much rooted in the New England DNA, but the major difference that we need to draw attention to is that in Salem and the witch hunt, they were very much alive when they were accused, right. whereas in the vampire yes. panic, the accused were already deceased. So therefore, they were not taking lives of innocent, still living people. That's what I was going to say throughout this whole thing. I'm like, you know what? At yeah. least people are already crossed. Yes. And if you want to learn more about the folklore and history of the vampire panic, I highly recommend looking into Michael Bell. He has spent over 20 years pursuing the forgotten vampire tradition and is a folklorist with a PhD. He has a book called Food for the Dead on the Tale of New England's Vampires and is all about – he's been like researching and looking up old articles and basically digging into the history of this vampire panic – but trying not to sensationalize the story because I think when people hear vampire, they're like, ooh, bloodthirsting monsters and all of this stuff. But he's very mm-hmm. much looking into the time and what was going on with the settlements or settlers and and just the influences yeah. that caused them to follow these rituals and believe it was vampires. It is very fascinating because, I mean, I know this is going to sound ironic because obviously we're here – as a ghost podcast who talks about magic and the mm-hmm. belief in a lot of things. But it does, I it is curious to me that despite the witch trials having happened and basically what happened then being condemned some 200 years later and people realizing that, you know, more likely than not, 
those people were just regular yeah. people that they they murdered that they can then go and make these extra leaps to say that there are vampires like i understand that we didn't understand diseases it was also having lived through many new england winters you go a little bit mad. Yeah, it's <laughs> so very cold. I can understand where they're coming from, but it's just, it's interesting. It's one of those things where I'd be like, oh, well, can't they look back in history and maybe make some assumptions that like perhaps this is something similar that's going on. And yet we have a podcast and we still- <laughs> It's hard to understand. Haven't learned. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and also if they're very influenced by Europeans and they too have mm-hmm. been dealing with something similar and are doing these rituals- and it seems to be working or, you uh-huh. know, even if it's not, it feels like, oh, if they're doing it, let's try that as well. It's a lot of right. heavily being influenced. It's the classic. Totally. It makes me think of when there's those psychology exper- experiments where they'll put a button in a room and it'll say like, do not press button. And you're like, okay, well, nothing really will happen if I press the button. But what if I do? It's just you, you battle your yeah. belief with your action, right? Like you – don't think that there is going to be these repercussions or this result of whatever you're about to do. But what if, what if, and you didn't do it. And because you didn't do it, everyone around you dies. And there's a bit of herd mentality as well. Like if other people are doing it or pressuring you to do it, then you feel like you need to do it. It's the chain email from 2004. If you don't forward this to seven people, there's going to be- Should we bring that back? scary <laughs> no i think that's one of our rules on all of our social media we're like no seven days chain mail. okay unless it's, we're unless all scarred we from do it. it oh we gosh. started this episode yeah. by saying I, we make our own rules and so i'm gonna write a crazy fun long chain email check your inboxes last <laughs> time someone did something like that where they thought it was just this crazy fun really weird story it resulted in the slender man sabrina so okay you must be careful with how you try. And I'll forward. create one that's like a really beautiful, nice thing. Yes. Okay. Well, I'll okay. accept that. Thank you. You pass good blessings <laughs> on to seven more people. Yeah. That's a nice <laughs> way to do it. All right. I'm so excited for yours. Suddenly, my background has gotten really blue. I feel like I'm suddenly – I feel like I have the uh, – what What was it? Was it the first vampire? Oh, my God. I cannot think at all. Twilight. Oh. I almost said Vampire Diaries. You know how each Twilight has – a like different filter. sort of like sheen. Yeah. Yes. Am I am I in the original or am I in Twilight? The second you one? really did just the turn blue. blue. Right? I don't know what's going on. I'm evolving. Evolving. And so have our ideas around witches and some of the symbolism when we think of witches. So the classic depiction when we talk about witches around Halloween, there's usually a pointy black hat involved, maybe a black cat as a sidekick, or just a cat, Leia's in the YouTube hey. video right now. Definitely some, you know, magical potions, some spells, you know, double, double toil and trouble. Yes. I'm thinking of Mary-Kate and Ashley oh, yeah. now. That's not <laughs> Shakespeare. what you typically think of. Fire burn, cauldron yeah. bulb. <laughs> I think you also think of like a little the large Shakespeare. nose, the like Snow White witch, mm-hmm. the, the Come here, my pretty. With the red yes. delicious apple, apple and maybe a big wart on exactly. your nose. The warts, yeah. and little Hansel and Gretel, you know, the person in the in the woods that's coming to eat you. Yes. That's sort of what we what we think about. And of course, without a doubt, in that depiction or what we're envisioning this witch to look like, there is a broomstick for transportation. Of course. Of course. So in modern day, we have some silly 
versions of witches' brooms, like witches riding vacuums and Roombas, <laughs> like we saw in Hocus Pocus and Hocus Pocus 2. But have you ever thought to yourself, how did such a simple household staple become an iconic symbol of magic? And this is a PSA to parents out there that this is about to be a little PG-13. Yes. So, <laughs> we are going to venture back in time to 1324. Lady Alice, and I'm going to try to say this last name correctly, but I, I likely will butcher this. Keiteler. So Lady Alice Keiteler of Ireland was just accused of witchcraft. She was the first recorded person tried of witchcraft in Ireland. She had many children and many husbands, and she had a lot of money. So obviously, people were a little bit jealous. They didn't really like this. Alice had it all. They didn't have anything. And so, or at least, you know, the grass was greener on the other side. So they felt a little bit suspicious of Alice. And Alice and her second husband had actually been accused of killing her first husband together. But nothing came of it. So just a lot of town gossip, nosy people. But then her fourth husband, so now she's on her fourth husband, all three others have passed away. Her fourth husband, John Lepore, started to get sick, and he suspected that he was being poisoned. So all eyes turned to Alice. And now I think it's important to know, he never said, Alice is poisoning me. He just said, I think I'm getting Mm. poisoned. Well, and this is also the default. Is the, this is Alice's fifth hub, husband at the time now. The, she, he is her okay. fourth husband. Okay, so and the other three had died, and they've all died. Yeah, so, and she's she was already suspected of killing her first yeah. husband. So, I I'm tr- I'm coming to the defense of Alice, but I guess if I also lived in that town, yeah, I'd probably, I think that's the biggest thing. Probably also think she murdered. Yeah, it right. does feel like an odd coincidence that so many. So I can understand, but also I also. Knowing history and how women, often widows, mm-hmm. were often finger pointing, blamed for anything that happened or went wrong and called witch, it is, um, it makes me angry. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And actually, to call back to when we were walking around Marblehead and all of the plaques saying the dates that the houses were built, that they were added on to, and who lived there and what their occupation was, we saw a few that just said widow. widow. Yeah. So, there was there was a lot of that yeah. at the time. All right. So he suspected that he was being poisoned, and everybody started looking at Alice saying, what the hell, Alice, did you kill your husband? Or are you trying to kill your husband? And as much of the witch trials went that we saw years later, people were very quick to join in on the finger pointing. Her stepchildren were upset that John had recently redone his will to favor Alice and her firstborn son more than them. So they be- quickly became accusers. Mm. Insisting that Alice used potions oh my and sorcery and poison. Poor Alice. I feel like also what was common during this Poor time Alice. is if you weren't pointing the finger, you there was concern that you would be blamed. So it was better to point the finger mm-hmm. at people to protect yourself. Not excusing it. I'm just saying that I think that was common. Right. Totally. And unfortunately, what we saw later with witch trials is it doesn't even necessarily matter. Like there are some people that were in positions where you would never suspect them or they were accusers themselves and it all turned. So you never really knew what position you could take to be safe. But people were just trying to make guesses to protect themselves because it was it was a hard time to live then. So an investigation is launched and some damning evidence is found in Alice's closet was a pipe of ointment which she used to grease her staff, quote, upon which she ambled and galloped through thick and thin. And in a moment, I'll tell you what this means. I think I know what it means, Alice but is, okay. Yes. People are probably visualizing what it could <laughs> be. 
And you're probably right. <laughs> because we'll you did there. warn us it's PG-13. It's PG-13. Alice was charged for seven counts of witchcraft. The seven counts were, and I'm going to shorten the actual description or or I guess the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, Basically like the official okay. counts because it's it's a long-winded yeah, legal list of things that she was tried for and, and convicted okay. of. Yeah. Okay. So essentially those seven counts were that she denied the power of Christ and the church, mm. that she sacrificed animals for oh demons, gosh. that she asked demons for advice that she had sex with an incubus, that she would hold coven meetings in the church without permission. I liked that it said without permission because then that I was like, could you do it yeah. with permission? <laughs> I feel like that's an odd statement. Making dark magic powders, ointments, and potions, and bewitching and killing her husbands. Mm. So that is what she was convicted It's of. also just so sad because at that point, there's nothing that she could have done to, like, to defend herself. It's like they no. – they had no. made up their mind. It was not, like, innocent until proven guilty. It is just, like, guilty if we say you're guilty. It's reminding me of an outlander oh, when the two women are being tried, yeah. basically, and, and being called witches because of their use. Here's the thing. Most people that, that we know in history as witches, they either were doing absolutely nothing to call that to them or they were just being healers and using yeah. the the natural medicine and working with plants around us. And some people, unfortunately, had that labeled as yeah. a witch for them, while other people could just sit there and be like, oh, yes, that is, that's the holy right. plant. So that's actually okay. And you are a yeah. god. And it's, the, the, it's, it's hard to think about. I agree. <laughs> it's frustrating. It is super frustrating. fired up. <laughs> yes. Okay, so Alice is convicted, and you're probably thinking, poor Alice, she succumbed to what many, many other people did when it came to the witch trials, and she was murdered. But actually, Alice escaped. She fled, presumably to England, and then was never seen again. But unfortunately, her maid, Petronella, was tortured into a confession, mm. basically made to say that she was also involved and had oh. helped Alice. And then she was convicted as a witch and burned to death at the stake. That's so upsetting. Okay, so what the hell is going on? Why does all of this matter? And why did Alice have a staff or a broomstick covered with salve in her closet? So in the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. which I wrote down what centuries this means, because one of my new pet peeves is that – it's not really a pet peeve. I just don't know enough about it and I want to be more educated. Is I feel like we always default to saying – Victorian age when we talk about ghosts, and I think that's that's no one's fault, but but the fault of the ghosts because they were all just dying in the Victorian yeah. era. No, but I just want to give accurate descriptions of what was going on okay. in certain times and what people appeared to be. I appreciate that. So this was the Middle Ages or medieval times. So this is the fifth through fifteenth century. So during this time, Europeans were eating a lot of bread, mostly bread made from rye. And rye had this fungus that can grow in it or has a fungus that can grow in it, irrigate. And a lot of people at this time didn't realize that they were eating this fungus, that they had the bread with the fungus growing on it. And they thought it was a normal part of the bread and that they were eating this fungus unknowingly. Mm -hmm. The fungus had hallucinogenic properties and made people high as a Isn't kite, that what which happened also, with, in France and like the dance hysteria? They had all consumed exactly. this fungus. Yeah. The fungus from the bread. Yes, I was going to say the same The same thing. You covered that. You you did a whole episode on hysteria. the dancing hysteria. Yes. So basically, yes, people have been unknowingly getting high <laughs> off of bread mold for a long time. Yeah. 
So people, they began experimenting with plants and herbs and things that could possibly bring on the same feeling as Erica once they realized that they were getting this sensation from Mm. the mold. But, you know, of course, didn't want to keep eating moldy bread. So they're turning to plants and they're trying to figure out how to use certain plants or parts of plants and make them into ointments and salves to give them this sort of high. But these plants were very dangerous. I literally have in the YouTube video, I have Nightshade. Right here, yeah. framed. Because you are going to start uh, channeling your your witchy powers, and perhaps that will be. I think so. Making salves yourself for my broomstick. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Okay, but these plants that people were turning to to get high essentially were were very dangerous. Deadly nightshade, henbane, mandrake, and jimson weed were all poisonous plants that people started to use. They these plants can be super yeah. dead. Like children, animals, humans. A very small amount is basically needed to to kill you. Right. So it is it is dangerous. But they were taking parts of these plants and using them. So consume too much of these plants, you will die. Consume just enough, you'll hallucinate. Mm. Hallucinate, you're working with the devil. So that is essentially it's a lose lose thinking situation. Started. It's a lose lose, yeah. absolutely. So somewhere in this experimentation of using these plants to get high, people discovered that if you absorb it through different parts of your skin, especially your sweat glands, so basically like your armpits or via mucous membranes, so your vaginal and rectum regions, that you would get more high more quickly, and you also got to avoid all of the awful side effects that came with orally ingesting or drinking these plants. So if you just encapsulated them or or just ate them or or drank them in a tea, a lot of people were getting horrible stomach aches, nausea, vomiting, rashes. But (laughs) when they inserted them in other ways, Mm -hmm. they just basically got high and didn't have to have any of that other crappy stuff that happened. I'm just picturing this era, medieval ages, and people just experimenting strange things I mean, even today, like you, you know, you hear stories of people who work at emergency rooms and people, patients who come in with very strange objects inside their body. There are, <laughs> there are, there are things that you never thought could get yes. inside you. But I think when people work in the ER, they, they see, seem to find how we should do like enter. a just non paranormal episode where we have people in the medical field just tell us the strangest things they have seen come into their hospitals. Yes. Yep. I agree, although I'd probably faint that episode. So I'll read it all. I'll yeah. close my ears, cover my eyes, and it will be this delivered to you by okay. Sabrina. All right, so the people discovering this are making now ointments in these salves to rub on themselves to to get them high. Right. And sometimes they were using things that they found around their house to help administer those ointments. Okay. A broomstick yeah. for vaginal administration. Naturally. According to the 15th naturally yep so they would so when they said that that woman alice had a broomstick with salve on it they basically were saying that she there was evidence of her lubing up her broomstick and administering this salve to get high to work with the devil commune with the devil Mm -hmm. so according to a 15th century text it is written that these witches confess to this so they're basically saying like yes this is this really happened in history witches do admit that this is a thing 
that they, quote, anoint themselves under the arms and in other hairy places. And apparently, applying this ointment to your genitals would make you ride high into the sky, floating towards the stars, transcending out of your body in a very LSD-like state. Hmm. And so quite literally, it felt like they were flying, which is why it was eventually named the flying ointment. So it was basically like not only was it just a broomstick – but the, them riding the broomstick and then flying in the air was because the high that you would get, the hallucinations you would get, made you feel as if you were wow. flying. I don't know why I feel like I need to say this, but please do not try this at home. Oh, <laughs> no. No. This don't. is not a good thing don't. or a safe thing. I just feel like we need to, like, protect our own bums here and – Say, disclaimer, please do not try this at home. We do not recommend this to anyone. Thank you. Yes. There are a lot of safer things you can use to experiment (laughs) with. And also plant-wise, just don't. These are really deadly plants and most people don't know how to properly use them. And don't take your chances. And don't do drugs, kids. Don't do drugs. And brooms are either made of plastic or full of splinters. So find something And also meant for cleaning. Meant for cleaning. Yeah. And for (laughs) this back in the day. (laughs) So <laughs> this salve, this potion, it could either – the rumor was it would either be given to someone directly from the devil himself or it could be crafted by a mm. witch. So basically they would make this potion, give it to someone else or to them – give to themselves and it would allow them to take flight. And even though the feeling of flying was in reality what was happening when people were taking the this concoction yes. – it was rumored that they really were flying, that they were getting on these broomsticks and these witches were flying to the witches' Sabbath and essentially being corrupted and making everyone else corrupted and go right, against the right. church. In 1453, Guillaume Edelin, who was a priest who was pretty publicly criticizing the mm-hmm. church, he confessed, he was the first man, confessed to flying on a broomstick and also watching his elderly mother straddle a broomstick and whisk up the chimney and out of the house. Interesting. So he was arrested. I think there has to be some addictive properties to to do yes. this. I think people were very much in this addicted, right. repetitive nature of using And this. also keep in mind, during this time, there's not a whole lot to do. No. Not, not at, all. at all. There's a lot of downtime. It, there's so not much, much downtime. Ele- there's no electricity. There's no like lights. So you kind of like go to bed super early. You wake up super early. I don't know. It's, there's a lot of boredom. It's natural that your mind would wander, <laughs> that you might try out new and then things. get addicted to it. And get addicted to it. Exactly. So he was arrested and convicted of witchcraft. He ended up repenting and spending the rest of his life in jail. So he wasn't he wasn't killed. But he was the first person to actually confess to this whole broomstick mm. thing. So there's a lot of other people that had the finger pointed at them or that were suspected yeah. of doing it. But he was the first person on record to say, yes, I ride the broomstick, baby. Yeah. And now I will point out that uh, of this time, we can't really trust much of what was written down in text because – of course, there was a lot of fear, similar to in what you were describing, Sabrina, with the panic around vam- vampires, vampirism. <laughs> and with witchcraft, there's the same, yeah. right? Like everybody think – they think something and they want you to confess to that right. one thing. And so and they don't give up until you tortured. do. Exactly. And so a lot of what we have as written text could be extremely embellished, could be the result of someone being – disgustingly tortured until they gave whatever the person torturing them was looking for. And really it was just, yeah, it was just 
creating these fantastical narratives to push people further away from from the thing that they feared most, which was witchcraft. Right. But this is where our current depiction of witches flying on broomsticks began. Paintings began to show half-naked women sitting on or near broomsticks and other items that could potentially aid in applying the salve or were just household items. And the first image of women riding broomsticks appeared in the margins of a French poet, Martine Le Franc, in his book, Les Champions des Dames. I did not That's take okay. French. I'm just trying to channel Sabrina so you I can correct me. I don't even I ever pronounce it right. My mom wrong. would be so embarrassed by how my, my – whoa – by my pronunciation. <laughs> it's okay. Well, we're, we tried. If someone else can correct us, that would be great. But basically, this French poet, in his book that's translated to The Defender of Ladies, there is a little painting of two women flying. Mm-hmm. One is on a stick. The other is on a broom. I'm going to zoom and I'm going to show oh. you. But we're going to have our editors slap this baby into YouTube Lovely. so that it's a little easier to see. Oh. You see? Also, I love that that's the font of a book. Oh, it's, it's so magical. It's beautiful. It's very Lord of the yeah. Rings, right? It's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, but can you imagine? The perfectionist in me would never be able to write like that because if I got one thing wrong, I'd have to restart oh. the page and it's one page takes you 20 yeah. minutes. That probably took years to write. Yes. All right. So over the next few centuries, many of these paintings were very racy, mm-hmm. you know, witches and women on broomsticks. Uh, it's all quite phallic. And the women were quite mesmerizing. They're losing more and more clothing as the years go by. And this was very fitting for the depictions of female witches because there really wasn't much understood at the time about female sexuality and how it fit into the shifting culture. And women were also spending a lot more time in home than they ever had before. So they basically were given more of a role domestically. Mm -hmm. And the women were really trying to figure out their own place in culture as well and kind of attempting to rebel against that a bit. So – These images of the women riding out of their homes on broomsticks or through chimneys, it was a bit of a protest. It was them seeking their independence from the domestic position that they were now in. in It always makes me think of that TikTok song, Witch, Woman in Total Control of Herself. That's Mm -hmm. like my new jam. I love it. I'm a woman in total control of herself. Yeah, it's a great one. You can stream it on Spotify. It actually came up in my Spotify the other day. I was like, oh my God, I love this. It's yeah. such a good song. Yeah, she released the entire so song. Cool. It first went viral yeah. on, on TikTok, but so great. Okay, so showing these women riding broomsticks was a perfect symbol for showing women's defiance to the role that was given to them both physically and spiritually by the mm-hmm. church. So while nudity has definitely been presented in artwork before, this was a time period in Europe when it was shifting from medieval times into the Renaissance period. And it was this sort of rebirth. And there were many more images of women riding broomsticks, nude, sensual, captivating. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of us have them pinned on our dream mm-hmm. Pinterest boards. You know, it was nice. So things are shifting in, in Europe. There's reform. There's a new branch of Christianity. So Protestantism, Protestants came out of this time period. And basically, there were then those who broke off who were like, you know, Protestant light, and then people who were really intensely Protestant Mm -hmm. and are known to us now as Puritans. And then they headed over to North America, to New England, where the vampire situation also happened. They established roots in New England, and eventually in Salem Village, the Puritan community was shook when 11-year-old Abigail Williams began to contort and utter nonsensical things. And then another 11-year-old, Anne Putnam, 
followed Abigail's footsteps, the two of them pointing their fingers at three women, Tichuba, Sarah Good, and Sarah yes. Osborne, as witches. So this is all to say that we don't actually know whether or not these salves were used in the way that they said they were by by inserting them into you via right. broomstick or if people riding broomsticks or witches riding broomsticks was created as a, I guess, creative way to describe the people that were using this and getting high or if it was just created by these like scared, anxious right. religious people at the time who were scarred by, you know, women's sexual and religious freedom or their desire to have yeah. that, you know, it's There's a lot of fear around women, power and yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Totally. So while broomsticks association with witches started in this way, it has evolved and modern day practitioners of witchcraft still use brooms from time to time for various purposes. But the main one is to clear away negative energy before a ritual and to protect your space. And also it can be used to straight up clean debris from your home. (laughs) Let's remember that brooms also are for cleaning. Yeah. And there I was reading... I so believe this, too, because I feel the same way about myself when I get in a bad funk. My house represents that. And I was reading about how not necessarily even in witchcraft, but just like your space is a reflection of where you are in in yourself, like physically and mentally and your health. And so just the act of sweeping and cleaning up is also showing your dedication and your commitment to taking care of yourself as well, which I think is really beautiful. It's a literal and metaphorical cleanse. It's mm-hmm. actually interesting. The the medium we met with in Salem, and I knew this, but it would talk. She talked a lot about how water is very cleansing, and water can literally take away negativity, and it's very grounding. So she was saying that when I'm in the shower, to after I you know clean myself, bathe, um, and not wash my feet because I don't do that still. I to ask your spirit guides and your guardians to wash away your negativity. And she was telling me this story about her mentor once did this and truly the color of the water changed. Which is just so yeah. incredible. That I would believe everything from there on oh, out. Absolutely. You know? like, that's the proof that yeah. you need. Well, unfortunately for people back in the day, there was no real proof. People just thought something yeah. and believed it. But I want to leave you with a few uses of brooms and more okay. modern practices that I read. Uh, so, you know, if you're a practicing witch out there, I would love to hear how, how else it's used. But yeah. I wrote down a few things. So you can hang a broom over your front window or door to prevent gossip, unwanted guests, or oh, curses from entering okay. your home. If you have a guest over, actually, I, I've been seeing this and hear, heard this for much of my life. But if you have a guest over who's basically overstaying their welcome and you want them to leave, you take a broom and you stand it right up against the door of the room that they're in and they'll leave quickly. Or I've also heard that you can just flip the broom upside down and prop it up upside down and that will have basically I'm imagining that you're doing this and like kind of locking them in the room so that they get freaked out and they're like, I can't stay here anymore. You just, yeah, you stop talking and you just stay with them <laughs> with your broom. Okay. Creepy. Uh, another one is, I thought this would be good for where you live, okay. Sabrina, in Southern California. To bring rain, mm. you can wet the bristles of the broom and you can shake it in various directions, you know, north, oh. south, east, west. Cool. Visualizing and calling for rain Ooh, as you I do it. I want rain. Okay, I'm going to do this. Right? I know. Yes. Oh, and I didn't write this down, so I might, I might totally tell it incorrectly, but in the beginning of your research, you were talking about wedding traditions. Mm-hmm. And the broomstick represents masculinity, and then the bristles represent femininity. Mm-hmm. And so I know it used to be a tradition in marriage 
where when a bride and groom got married to each other, they would jump over a broom to kind of represent them coming together. Can you and Brian please do this at your wedding? I, I will gift I you the broom. About it. I was like, that's cool. Right? Yeah. Like you guys kiss. Okay. I think we should. I, whoever's officiating should say, uh, you we may kiss the and then it's now jump over the broom. Yeah. I think I'm going to pitch I it to I love him. that. You know, he is Jewish, so there might be like a smashing of the glass but, situation, but we can yeah. do both. We're, we're going to hopscotch our way <laughs> back down the aisle doing every single tradition you possibly can. <laughs> I love this. I'm I'm so excited to be a part of it. But no, you should gift us a broom because I was thinking about I it. I was like, that would be really cool. Absolutely give you a broom. Okay, but that that's the history. Wow. That is, well, I history, but also very much lore yeah, yeah. Uh, as to why witches have brooms. Yeah, because you know, it's so fascinating because I had heard, I think probably through another podcast or something, that witches' broomsticks were like the OG dildo. Dildo. Mm-hmm. But it came from such a different – I didn't realize that came from this, like, method of inserting salves or, you know, there was just a lot Me of neither. different practices for it. And then it sounds like it evolved I think evolved you and I probably saw or listened. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not sure. I mean, I will say my my search history, the first thing I put in was, like, <laughs> broomsticks as dildos. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I was looking for because I think that's what we, we had heard. heard so so frequently, like, that that is where it came from. But I think – you know, it, it very well could have been. I think it all just kind of goes back to women finding themselves or attempting to liberate themselves yes. sexually and religiously and physically and finding the roles that, that made sense for them and not the ones that the church or the community bestowed right. upon them. So, you know, a woman in total control of herself. Yeah. Words to live by. Mm-hmm. Should we do listener stories? Yes, let's do it. Okay. I have a story from our listener, Lane, and it is called My Encounters So Far. A nice hello to the two of you. I love listening to your podcast, although I sometimes get too scared to fall asleep. But since I had quite a number of experiences since my early childhood myself, I have become very interested in the topic and want to believe this is actually a thing and I'm not just crazy. I have quite a lot to tell, and so my story begins when I was a little boy between three and five years old. My mother keeps telling me how I was talking about my dead grandparents as a toddler, telling her things I could not possibly know about them, but I didn't keep on seeing them. Instead, I remember seeing someone else. I used to see a boy in my room in the evenings. I remember seeing him when it was dark outside, but my lights were still turned on. He was either hovering under the ceiling as if he was laying on the fan or on top of my bunk bed. That's such a creepy image, like hovering by the ceiling. Mm-hmm. Needless to say, I never slept in that upper bed of my bunk again. But sometimes Understandable. this boy would look down from the upper bed, bending over from the top, grinning at me. Ew, no, no. <laughs> nope. It felt so wrong when he would move on the bed like that. There was no sound. When someone moves, the air around moves too. You hear something, but no, nothing. And he was so damn pale, like a vampire, I thought. Although he always smiled at me, he was freaking me out, and I ran crying and screaming to my mom. So when I was around five years old, my mother finally started to ask more questions, or perhaps I started to open up more about the events. She asked how the boy looked, and I told her, and she brought up a photo album from the basement and showed me a picture of a boy in a coffin. I'm imagining this is a book of the dead, but I'm curious Oh, but st- if it belongs to the house or why Lane's mom had this. But Right. 
And to show to show yeah. a child another <laughs> dead child. Right. So Lane's mom shows him a picture of a boy in a coffin. And I went, well, yes, he kind of looks like that boy, but the boy I saw had light blonde hair. She turns some pages and shows me some other pictures like this. And I said, yes, that's the boy. Then she told me the whole story. Well, you have to know I grew up in the house with my grandparents that had built, and my mother had grown up there herself together with her eight siblings. She told me that this boy was my uncle Curtis, who had died in the attic when he was 11. He used to have lighter hair when he was younger, and it turned quite dark before his death, apparently. She said he was bullied badly by the two sons of my grandfather's first marriage, because he was the son of my grandmother's first marriage. And the first marriage husband had died during World War I. My mom told me that I needn't have to be afraid because he was there to look after us. So now I naturally am all excited about my friend. But shortly after this, I stopped being scared and I never saw him again, which I thought was quite odd. But since I always had an uncomfortable feeling around him, I thought how this negative energy must have had to do with how he had died because he had taken his own life. I had one other experience with him when my friend and I were home alone at my place playing hide and seek. This is this already gives me chills. Okay. Yep. So I went looking for my friend in the upper rooms on the third floor, and I heard someone giggling behind the computer. I was certain it must be her. And when I looked behind it, nothing. Naturally, I was freaked out, ran downstairs and yelled for her to come out. And turns out she was in the basement. So there's no way I could have heard her up in the attic or third floor. When I was older, I thought a lot about him being stuck in there. So I tried to pray for him and I would talk to him and try to guide him towards the light. Then the house was sold by my uncle a couple years ago. So I really hope he was able to leave and let go. I often felt a presence in the house that I believe wasn't the same as Curtis. In the dark of my room, I used to see a tall shadow figure by my door, which moved closer to me when I looked at it and felt way darker than Curtis's spirit. Our dog sometimes acted weird too, like once when I was home alone with him watching TV in my mom's bedroom on the second floor, he stood up growling, but not at the top of of the stairs like he did when he heard something outside. No, he stood there growling at the empty hallway towards the bathroom. So creepy. When I was older, I got into a relationship with someone and after just a short time we met, we went to visit his mother and her partner in Norway. They told us about some events in the house that they thought must have been her first husband who had died a while ago. So when the two of us got back from a tour, his mother told us about something that had happened while we were gone. She had heard a loud bang and went looking for what it was. She found that there was a giant and heavy flower vase, which had been originally standing on a little table, was now on the floor. It didn't even just shatter. It just stood there on the floor, straight up which felt impossible for it to happen on its own. One evening during the visit, my boyfriend at the time was already asleep and I was watching something on the laptop. I noticed a shadow in the shape of a man. I kept looking around for what could have possibly cast a shadow like that. And as I did, I couldn't find anything. And the shadow started to move around the room and then slowly fade. But I felt no fear. Another small incident happened while I was at work in the hospital. I went into an elevator on the ER floor and before I could push a button, the button to the exit floor pushed itself. I got a weird feeling, <laughs> but I hope the person realized that they had died. My final story. Um, I'm also like, who wants you to exit? Right. Who who was trying to get you to leave? Right. That's true. That's actually a weirder, scarier version of that. Who's in the elevator? Yeah, I wasn't necessarily thinking that someone else was just going going out and, and didn't recognize right. that they themselves had passed. I was thinking like it was a very active move. 
and signs. Yes. Interesting. Well, Lane's okay, so that's good to know. But Lane's final story is one that goes on until today. And I'm not sure whether it's the same spirit or a different one because recently it has shifted to a much more negative and aggressive presence. I always felt as if I might have someone or something attached to me. So when I came together with that Norway guy, I had a strange dream. A guy came up to me and said something around the lines of, now that you have him, should I stay or leave? And at that time, I believe this guy was my run to love. I was very wrong. So I kept wondering if it actually might have been a spirit somehow attached to me asking if I wanted him to leave now since I had found someone else. Unfortunately, this relationship with Norway guy turned pretty violent and destructive. He didn't have any self-love, accused me of lying and cheating all the time for no reason. He gaslighted me, so on. I tried to break up a couple of times after it got too violent during fights, but he somehow was able to convince me time after time that such a thing wouldn't happen again. So when I had already moved out, I made the mistake in a vulnerable moment to let him back into my life. At this time, I was listening to a show on YouTube where people told about their paranormal encounters, and I was watching it on my Xbox. I turned the console off and turned on a Lord of the Rings audiobook on my tablet and laid it down on the windowsill and was going to sleep on the couch, when all of a sudden, I heard on repeat, the door isn't open, it won't open, the door isn't open, it won't open. I think it repeated five times at least. I was freaked out and paralyzed for a moment, and then I took the tablet and saw it had jumped all by itself into the middle of the audiobook to another YouTube video from the channel that I had been watching before on my Xbox, to a video I hadn't watched yet, and somehow was repeating the same part of a couple lines. I listened to that part of the video again, and it did not repeat itself, so I didn't really know what to make of this, but the lines stuck out to me. The door won't ever open. He will never change. It won't get better. I then broke up with this Norway guy, and I saw a shadow figure a couple of times in the corner of my eye, and my new partner at the time, who I talked about my experiences, since he himself had experienced odd things in their house, told me he too saw something behind me once when we were driving in my car. What? Okay, that would have been a good thing to to tell. But maybe not. While Lane. driving, that seems dangerous. Not not while driving, but at least I the know. next day. Or once you arrive to your destination to just say, hey, tomorrow let's figure what's out what to car? do with the car situation because I saw something yeah. in there behind you. Yeah. Till this day, I sometimes feel a presence in my flat. Sometimes my console just turns on all by itself. Sometimes I hear my couch make sounds as if someone is sitting down on it. But then the energy has shifted. Last year, I started to experience sleep paralysis for the first time ever in my life. It started when I was 26, which I think is a bit weird for itself, but okay, you never know when such things occur throughout life. It started one night when I was about to fall asleep. I felt something touching my hair, and at first I thought, oh, damn, ferret, I'm trying to sleep here. But then I felt <laughs> something lifting up the blanket beside my head, and I couldn't move. And then I thought to myself, oh, hell no, that is definitely not my pet ferret there. But I was tired and annoyed and asked to be left alone because I wanted to sleep. I fell asleep until I was awoken a couple of hours later by something pulling at my hands. I couldn't move or say anything, so in my mind, I more or less nicely asked it to leave me alone because I get quite grumpy when I'm tired or woken up before it's time. It didn't stop. I panicked, and I started praying to God, and then was able to regain more and more control over my body until it stopped. Needless to say, I didn't go back to sleep and had to watch some Netflix instead. Something similar has happened twice this year. One more recently, I felt something on me, and this time I had trouble breathing. I stayed kind of chill and tried to communicate somehow. 
I tried to grab its hands and it actually took my hands. What? I was starting to freak out because it felt like actual hands. I couldn't move or make a sound as usual, but it felt so real. I was starting to think it was an intruder. I thought it might be my crazy Norway dude ex with stalker habits since he has not stopped trying to contact me. And so I panicked. I panicked a lot, and as the grip got looser, I opened my eyes and looked up and saw a shadowy figure on top of me with their knees beside my body fading into nothingness. I don't really know what to make out of this entity since I felt like it was trying to help me when I was in that bad relationship, but now I do anything, if I do anything, but now it doesn't really feel like it's kind. I don't know. Is it a different spirit? I have no idea what's going on with that at the moment. So when a girl I was seeing talked about trying out a Ouija board, I answered, hell no. Same now with my girlfriend. She apparently enjoys playing games alone somehow. And I was very clear in telling her not to do such things when I'm around. Who knows what that might enable. By the way, my current girlfriend claims to be a witch and practices Wicca. So maybe I should just ask her for a cleansing. But I'm curious. Absolutely. Uh, I will send other things if they come up in the future. If my English is somewhat poor, please excuse me. I grew up in Germany. So greetings from Germany, y'all. Lane. Hello, Lane. Lane from Germany. In Germany. Okay, well, I just have to say, so... During the video game situation where it was basically saying to Lane mm-hmm. through the the headset or whatever the the non-player characters repeating about him never being different or him never being able to leave. Like it, it was all about the exit, which is reminding me again of when in the elevator there was the yeah. exit button pushed. I just feel like some of these things are oh. maybe connecting. And I don't know necessarily when certain things happened right. in Lane's life, like if they were all around the same time or if one predated the other where it wasn't connected or not. But if it was around Norway ex-partner, then perhaps it was just this entity saying, leave the relationship, leave the relationship, leave the relationship. Like this is not a good avenue to continue in, mm-hmm. which I think is really fascinating but I kind of agree with Lane. It feels like a very different presence now. Mm-hmm. Right. But I will also remind us of the little boy who had passed yeah. in her very in Lane's very first experience in that house with this little creepy boy who was smiling. And I feel bad saying that he's creepy because we obviously know that he passed away. There's yeah. evidence of him having lived in the house. But it was just his behaviors the, seemed so odd and so menacing. Yes, the smi- it's that smile, that new smile movie. That is what it's reminding yeah. me of. And I feel like just because we know someone's backstory doesn't mean that whatever is appearing as them yeah. or the version of their spirit that is still remains is fully good. a yeah. beneficial presence. Yes. Yeah, definitely. It's hard to know for sure. Well, Lane, you will have to keep us updated. I definitely think <laughs> cleansing your space and setting your intentions is really good. And someone emailed us recently. I think we were very kind with our cl- like clearing our space and setting our positive intentions before recording. But she was like, sometimes you just have to be brutally rude to demons and dark spirits and like say F off. F off. Get F off. Get out. You're not welcome here. I don't know. Bring out your New Jersey accent. Put your bump it in and be aggressive. Okay. We can do that moving forward. Aggressive. And I think be aggressive. Be aggressive. Why am I so blue? So I don't know. And your camera also. So we got new little like extension cameras. So our video is more clear. I don't know if it works, but yours keeps making like um, focusing things. And I hear oh, it uh-oh. go like, okay. 
Oh gosh. But okay. I don't think that well, your microphone we'll will see. pick it up. I just, it, I'm noticing it. I hope not. Sorry. We'll, we'll experiment with th- this camera yeah. a little bit longer before we ditch it. If, if we see. Yeah. All right. I have a email for us to end okay. on. This is from Kate and it's called Boo Hag. Oh. <laughs> Alrighty. I'm unsure if y'all know this low country legend. I was raised in South Carolina where the Gullah people are located. They have a certain demon or monster or something that is known in the area, and it's a popular legend in their culture. It's the Boo Hag Mm. or Skin Demon. Oh. I have had friends that have had personal experiences with seeing it, and I have felt and stopped it. Oh, my gosh. The Boo Hag is a demon that sheds its skin at night looking for someone to sit on and steal your strength. What? If this is this is reminding me so much of both a flush pedestrian and also the Tokolosh. Tokolosh, right? In South Africa. Yeah. And also the kind of the men wear other people's skin. Where it's like leaving its lower half of its body behind searching for its victims. Yes. So gross. If you struggle while they are there, it is said that they will take your Creepers, skin. creepers much. <laughs> it has the same side effects as sleep paralysis, basically, but you just can't stop it. Mm. By putting a straw broomstick up in the air by your bed, it is said that they will become distracted and count all of the straw and then have to rush home before the sun oh my comes gosh. up. Okay, another great practice for the broom. Right? This is save your life, hang up a broomstick. Okay. Front door, front window, bedroom. Yeah, brooms everywhere. Brooms everywhere. Okay, so Kate says, now I have had friends who have seen this thing. It's not uncommon to be driving in the islands with little lights around and all of the trees blocking your moonlight. Well, my friend Alice, she saw him or whatever it was. She said she stopped at a stop sign in the middle of nowhere trying to get home and on the road was a demon of some sorts that had patches of skin oh. all over its body like it had been collecting <gasps> chunks Ew. and was wearing it. The Ugh. eyes were black and void of light. She said she looked away for a second and it was gone. And so she started to speed yeah. away just to look in the rearview mirror and see it <gasps> behind her car. <gasps> ah! Another friend had a similar experience to this on the way home from a friend's house. He saw the same monster and described it just as she had. We all freaked out as we all had had sleep paralysis lately, and we decided to put straw brooms in our room and near our beds. The sleep paralysis stopped after that. Oh. The boo hag is a weird skin demon that I want no part of. Even though I moved away, (laughs) right? Well, we're not... We're not down in, in South the Carolina. South. So I think yeah. we're okay. Hopefully. Yes. Even though I moved away from South Carolina, when I come back to visit family, I always have a straw broom in my bedroom. Seems smart. This is from Kate. Mm-hmm. Kate. This is – I want to know I'm, more about the Gullah people, yeah. like their experience too. I also – we should do an this. episode on the Boo Hag and look into this. Yes. Um, it's terrifying. It seems like a combination of so many cryptids, as, as I think a lot of cryptids are. Like they, they seem to borrow one another's tactics and just cre- creepier and creepier. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Yeah, I don't like the story where Kate's friend was <sighs> driving and then looked in the rearview mirror and it was there behind the car. That is just chunks of it. Oh, uh, I'm picturing in Stranger Things. What was it? Season three or whatever of Stranger Things where the monster is absorbing is basically like absorbing yeah. all the parts of people. It's kind of what I'm picturing. Yeah. 
It's so gross. It is. But it also makes me more fearful of sleep paralysis too because How it do mimics you know? sleep paralysis yeah. where you think, yes, that you can just get out of it. And basically like it, it's a lose-lose situation yeah. unless you have a broom. Because otherwise, if you struggle, they will take your skin. Yeah. If you do anything, they will basically take your skin. You have to distract them by saying, here's my big broom. Count Should the bristles. we start selling brooms on our, our merch? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like engraved. The wood handle is engraved with two girls, one ghost. It should be engraved with just all the different rituals and things that you should use mm. your broom for. This is like your your number one tool. It's the Swiss army <laughs> knife of spiritual tools. Everyone arm yourselves with your brooms and uh, mm-hmm. stay safe. Stay safe. And this Halloween, perhaps you might require a broom even more because something is coming tomorrow night or tomorrow. Something is brewing. Something has been brewing. <laughs> And we'll finally come into your lives. <laughs> so we will see you. <laughs> we'll see you then. Um, if you have any paranormal encounters or supernatural cryptid UFO alien encounters, please email them to us at two girls, one ghost podcast at gmail.com. And thank you so much for joining us on this October journey, which was questionable to say the least. We did have to we, pivot because it was, it got a little too scary. We, we weren't prepared. We didn't take the proper measures to protect ourselves and, how and everyone can else. You? And for that, we're sorry. We'll do better well, next Well, also, year. how can you really properly prepare yourself to talk about demons? I think you just have to be very – I think we should minimize how often we talk about them. And not – yeah, not pile them all on onto top of each other. Because that was a lesson lesson In learned. the creepiest month of the year, of course, as well. But thank you for joining us. We hope no one got possessed. And stay tuned for an Encounters episode this week that is a lighthearted episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to kick off november we have to have a little palate cleanser you can support us in a variety of ways you can rate and review on itunes you can check out our patreon we have a lot of exclusive content and bonuses and chat with everybody there we have discord we have merchandise and the holidays are coming so order order head if you know you want something or to gift something and we have social media and also just because october is over does not mean spooky stories need to be over we are here all year round and continuing to bring ghost stories paranormal stories all of that to all of you so continue to be a part of the triangle continue to spread the pyramid scheme and um get lost in the triangle with us and with your friends and your family bring them all into our little like pyramid scheme and thank you so much shout out to yes. our digital for editing love you both our youtube and our audio we appreciate you and we will see you on the other side. Someone recently reviewed saying that, like, we do that too slow. But, like, it's beautiful. It's a piece of art. Sorry. Appreciate it. Bye. Bye. Very smooth.